The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Does that feel good? I'm setting you up because in here they stood for like sunrise to noon to hear the word of God. I'm going to make you feel guilty for that feeling good. I'm kidding. But uh, it's, uh, it's an awesome passage that we're looking at. Uh, We're working through the book of Nehemiah, and in the book of Nehemiah, we've seen uh, 1 through 7. In chapter 7, we ended with the wall has been finished, and it was time to fill the city with people. Uh, Nehemiah has been restoring worship in Jerusalem, and that's really what the book of Nehemiah is about. It's about God's people being restored to properly worshiping God. And what we've been saying is we're learning from this that our call is to bring similar restoration uh, in our own life and into others. And so what we're doing when we do that is restore people to proper worship. Help people get back into a place where they truly can experience the joy of the Lord. And that is in proper relationship with their creator. Um, We've seen in the book of Nehemiah, there's going to always be great resistance, whether it's uh, resistance to our own enjoyment of being restored with God or bringing that gospel uh, to others. Um, The resistance has been pervasive. uh, It's been persistent. It's been from the outside of God's people. It's been from the inside of God's people. Uh, the resistance has tried to uh, distract constantly from the work. It's tried to uh, bring discouragement uh, so that the people would give up. And we've seen also that the enemy has tried to deceive, trying to lead the leader, Nehemiah, into sin to take him down to, to try to make a dent in the work. And so we know this is tiring work. It's not easy to, to bring, to enjoy restoration and to offer similar restoration to others. Ultimately, we know from the Word of God that restoration is found in Jesus Christ. The, the reason we need restoration is all of us, every single person, has rebelled out of God's rule. If you think of it similar to a household, um, the, the safest, most enjoyable place for a child is in the loving care and rule of a loving parents, right? And so if that child rebels and is removes themselves from that joyful place of authority, they experience the consequences. They forfeit joy. They, they, they think that that's where joy is, right? They think it's all, if I could just get out from under this house, I'm going to find joy and freedom and life will be happy outside when they're minors outside of the home. And we know as their authority, no, this is the place of joy. This is the place of the perfect enjoyment of freedom is, is within the confines of my rule. And so when that child comes back under that, there is, there is a restoration that takes place. The, the restoring of joy in that child's life. The family celebrates and rejoices as they're restored. And that's a picture of God's plan. That God is restoring rebellious people back to his loving rule in their life. And that comes through faith in Jesus. Jesus' message, wherever Jesus is, he brings the reign and rule of God. 
And so his message was, the kingdom of God is here. Come, place yourself under the rule of God and enjoy the kingdom. And when someone does, they, those who trust in Christ, they first are restored in this way. That he gives them his righteousness and he takes their blame. He takes their punishment. He takes their wrath for their rebellion. And he gives them his righteousness. So God is, they are reconciled to God once again. They're brought back into the home. They're brought, brought into the household of God. Then... The rest of their life, the rest of your life, after trusting in Christ, there is another aspect to being restored, and that is emotionally, physically, mentally, circumstantially. There is a restoration that takes place as you bring your priorities back under the reign and rule of Jesus, as you bring your, your thoughts and emotions under the reign and rule of Jesus, as you spend your resources according to the reign and rule of Christ, that as you bring your life into conformity with the revealed will or the, the, what God says or His rule or His authority, there becomes a great joy of restoration. Families are restored, marriages are restored, relationships are restored, uh, emotions. There's tremendous joy of restoration that comes as we bring our lives back under the reign and rule of King Jesus, as revealed in his scriptures. And that's a growing process that happens throughout this lifetime. And then the final aspect of restoration is when King Jesus, after he died, was buried and rose again, he ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father. And we know from scriptures that on that day that he returns, he finishes complete restoration. He burns up the existing earth and creates a new heavens and a new earth. And he is dwelling on this earth with his people who have been given completely new bodies, free from the effects of sin, living under the perfect reign and rule of King Jesus, enjoying forever perfect restoration. And so God is all about restoring people to his joy. And that's the message you and I have. That's the story of the Bible. That's the, the great good news. That's what the word gospel means. Good news. The good news that we have to offer is you can be restored in Christ. And so today we come to chapters 8, 9, and 10, which is this little aside in the story. In the story, we got to seven and Nehemiah finished the wall. You'd think it's time to celebrate. And he goes, man, nobody lives here. We got to get people in the city. But then in eight, there's a pause. In 11, he'll get back to getting the people in the city. But eight, nine, and 10, we get a glimpse into the restoration that's going on in the people of God in the middle of all this chaos of building the physical aspects of the kingdom. And so we're going to see today that that the people of God are enjoying restoration in the midst of chaos. Very similar to our situation. The people of God can enjoy restoration in the midst of chaos that surrounds us. So chapter 8, we're going to sit on top of the wall that Nehemiah just finished. And we're going to be sitting near the water gate. I have to be careful about saying that. Water gate. Nixon wasn't there, okay? This is a different water gate. So we're sitting on top of the wall at the water gate and we're peering down 
as this worship service happens. And we're going to see what is it that was so important. What are the elements of this worship service that brought such incredible strengthening joy to them? So we're going to see three elements of this worship service that that are key to all of us corporately in here, in community group, in your families, in your personal life. What is the key to experiencing this strengthening joy of the Lord so that you can always be about bringing restoration? The first thing we see, the centrality of, of God's word. In verses 1 through 7, we see the centrality of God's word. Here, here's the picture. All the people gathered together as one, and what were they gathering together around? Was there strongman competition going on? Was there a concert going on? Was there a comedian in town? What were they gathering together around? Tell me. The word of God. They had prepared for this moment. They built a a wooden platform, which is, you see many of these elements even in today. They built a wooden platform. It was like there was buzz around the crowd. They're all talking, man, check out the wall. Man, we've rebuilt the wall. This is incredible. And then a hush came over the crowd as Ezra comes out with this book in his hand. And it's called the book of the law. The book of the law that, that Moses received. And who gave it to Moses? Who gave this book of the law to Moses? God gave a book to a human. No wonder they stopped everything when they brought that into the room. No wonder they built up a podium. No wonder they all stopped building the wall. They all stopped guarding the wall. They all stopped feeding the children. They all stopped doing their chores. They stopped everything because they're bringing that book and we're going to get to hear it. What book? Dad, what are you talking about? The book that God Almighty, our Creator, wrote and gave to Moses that they passed down generation after generation. They treasured it. They protected it. And a hush and an awe fell on the people as Ezra brought the book out. It says when he opened the book, in front of the eyes of the people and began to to look at it, they all stood up. They knew this is a special book. This is the word of God Almighty. Whatever happened to that book? You have it. Right there. That right there. That's how much they had. The first five books of your Bible. And they treasured it. No wonder they said, nothing is more important. I will stop it. And I'm going to that gathering where they're going to read the word of God. And they're going to make 
sure that I understand it. They're going to translate it. Possibly they were speaking Aramaic and it was in Hebrew and had to be translated or possibly they didn't read. Whatever the case may be, the job, the central focus of Ezra and the the scribes and the Levites was to give the sense of what the word said. And it says the people paid attention. He read it from morning till noon Three, four, maybe five hours, the people sat attentively listening. This is what God said to us. It's the central focus of the gathering. God revealing himself and his plans and his purposes and his provisions to accomplish what he wants. They were hanging on every word. What did God say? It was the central focus of their service. If you want to know the joy of the Lord, if we as a people want to know the strengthening, the life empowering, the persevering joy of the Lord, the word of God must be central to everything we do. That's why this is what we're all about in here. You don't hear us spending, I have precious moments with you, precious few minutes, and I just think, is it worth telling a story to take away from the teaching of the Word? Is it worth telling an illustration? We're constantly guarding against anything that would distract from giving the sense of what God has said to us in His Word. And we don't just have the first five books, we have the rest of it explaining more of it. And so we treasure the word of God. Do you treasure the word of God in your community group? Every member of this church gathers together in small groups of of 10 and 12 people. And when we get together, what we should be doing is saying, what has God said? What did we learn this week? How do we apply that? I didn't understand this part. Can you help me get that? Man, this is hard to apply. Lord, hey, pray for me that the Lord will help me because this has been really difficult for me. Praise God. I've seen this in my life. Everything that we do ultimately should be centered around the word of God. That doesn't mean that every moment is reading it, but we're reading it. We're thinking about it. We're talking about it. We're wrestling with it. We're seeking to apply it. We're trying to understand it better. We're reading good writers who help us dig deeper, ever deeper, ever closer to knowing the Lord and His will for our lives. Parenting. Parenting. Do do your thoughts ooze what God's Word says. Teaching your children about the word, about God's will, friendships. Is the word of God a part of your relationships that you have? The word of God must be central, foundational, completely covering everything we do. To the extent that the word of God is primary, then we're greater and greater able to enjoy the joy of the Lord. So, centrality of the Word of God. In the next verses 8 through 13, we see the clarity of the Word of God. You see a theme here. The Word of God. It's central 
And it's clear. We see in verses 8 through 13, they were able to understand the word. There's a doctrine called the clarity of the word of God. Wayne Grudem articulates it like this. He says, everything a willing heart needs. Everything a willing heart needs for salvation and a life of godliness are very clearly set forth in scriptures and able to be understood. Not just some things. I'll put it another way. Everything you and I need for the joy of the Lord, everything that you and I need for restoration, everything that you and I need for salvation and a life of godliness is in your word of God and able to be understood. I mean, in the scriptures, they say, man, some of Paul's stuff is hard to understand. But everything you need to, the, to experience the joy of the Lord, life of, of godliness and salvation, is clearly taught in the word of God, and you can understand it. Don't cop out. Don't take the easy way out. Well, I don't understand that. I'll just let Tracy figure that out, and maybe he'll tell me a little bit later. No, you can't cop out. If you do, you're robbing yourself of joy. You want joy? Study the Word of God. Read the, the, the material that the, our staff and our members write and send out that helps you understand, that does, gives the sense of what the Word of God was saying. Study it for yourself. Read a commentary. Go to core classes. Be trained on how to do this. If you don't, you are robbing yourself of enjoyment of God himself. It's like a father who had an estranged child and said, Son, I want you to be restored. And he starts to write this letter. Son, here's how you can, here's how you can be restored. And he writes this detailed, complicated, but wonderful letter. Here's how you can come back home, son. Here's how you can be restored. And the family will, work, will celebrate together. And a son get that and going, yeah, whatever. God has written a book. God Almighty, creator of your soul, of your personality, of your circumstances, of your life. He has written a book to you so that you can come and experience restoration, joy of the Lord that will strengthen you for every day. Notice what happened in these verses, in, in verses 8 through 13. Ezra, read it, and his helpers, the scribes and Levites, would, would communicate to them, here's what that means. I don't know what that looked like. I'm like, what, what did that look like? I mean, did they have like little small groups in the middle of this gathering and he would read it and they'd say, okay, here's what that meant. You see, he was this. You see, Jesus, God was doing this and we were supposed to set up booths and that's coming. So I don't know what it looked like, but somehow they're giving them the sense of what was going on, a sense of what the word was saying so that they could understand, so that they could grasp what God was saying to them. And in these verses in 8 through uh, 13, we see, uh, I've lost my place here. We see how 
the result of what happened, it says that at first they were grieved. At first they were grieved. Now, what, where's the joy of the Lord in that? Well, because what happened as they were read, read the word of God, they realized, man, God is glorious. God is good. God is happy. God is joyous. God is beautiful. God is majestic. And I'm not. And I've taken myself away from that. I, I've sinned. I've turned my back on God. We've rebelled against our fathers. And next week we're going to see this long, detailed description of, of them confessing their sins, confessing what they see in the scriptures, confessing the sins of their forefathers, confessing God's greatness, God's glory, God's majesty. And as they saw their sin, they were broken and they were grieved. Now, Paul tells us there's two kinds of grieving. There's two kinds of sorrow that comes after sin. He says there's a worldly sorrow that leads to destruction because it doesn't include repentance. It's just feeling sorrow about your sin but not repenting. He says, but godly sorrow leads to repentance unto salvation. And this is what happens in the scene that we see. They are grieving, but the... the, Ezra says, wait a minute, today is a special day. It was the New Year's Day of their calendar. It was supposed to be a day of celebration, a day of rest, a day of worship. And so they said, let it bring you to repentance. And then he begins to tell them about the Feast of Booths in the next verses. But before we go there, understand, they knew... What was being told? They understood the message. Before you can understand, before you can enjoy to the fullest the the joy of the Lord, you must know what God's Word says. You see, the joy of the Lord is not some flippant happiness that you never get sad. The joy of the Lord is a, hard to articulate, it's a steadfastness, it's a, a, a rest. It's an assurance. It's a uh, mentally. It's it's an understanding. It's a perspective, knowing who God is, what He's doing. Your mind is expanded like a child's mind is all about themselves. And as they grow in wisdom, they realize there's a whole world out there. That's what happens. That's the joy of the Lord. As we read the Word of God, we realize what is up, what is down. Who is God? What does He want? Where do I fit in? What is God's will for my life? How do, how do I make sense of all that's going on? How do I react when evil comes against me? What do I do when bad things happen? How do I think? All of that comes from the Lord's Word. It provides for us a wisdom and perspective on how to think about things. It's also subjective. There is an emotional experience that happens as you know God and participate in God. You see, God is a happy God. God's not a mad, mean-spirited, frustrated being. God's happy. God's joyous. God's doing exactly what He wants to do. No one's frustrating His plans. He's carrying them out. Just like he wants. God is happy in himself. God is joyful in himself. God takes joy in bringing us joy. God says the best thing for you is to come back home and participate in me. 
And that's where you find your joy. You see, it's not egomaniac because for God to find joy in something other than himself, he would no longer be God. He is the supreme joy one. He is the supreme everything. And so his great joy is to bring us into the enjoyment of his joy. And so part of reading the word of God, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we're connecting with God by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. We read the word of God and we're communing, we're abiding with him. And there's a spiritual transaction that brings joy. That joy that undergirds your soul in the midst of chaos. God says, I want you to know that. And it's crystal clear in the scriptures how to do that. Come, seek the word of God. Everything you need to know him is revealed through scriptures. There's more revealed outside than just scriptures. But if you want to know him... You've got to know him through what he's revealed in the scriptures because it's precise about Jesus and his will and his ways. So we see the centrality of God's word. We also see the clarity of God's word. And that's where we see the verse, the joy of the Lord is our strength. As they began to grieve, Ezra tells them, no, wait a minute. Bring your life into conformity with the word of God For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that leads us to finally the authority of God's word. The authority of God's word. In verses 14 through 18, which we read when we stood and read it all together, they found written in the word of God instructions about something called the Feast of Booths. It seems weird, and they all went out and did what, what the leaders told them to do. Go get palm branches. Go get leafy branches. Go get branches. All kinds of branches. Just go get them and bring them back. And they all built huts. And so if you'll read the word, you'll see you're supposed to be living in huts. No, that's not true. Are you all paying attention? That was a joke. What was going on was they, as Israelites, were supposed to be participating in a feast a feast of booths, which was their way of remembering God's joyful deliverance of them from Egypt. Here's how it would go. Son, go get a bunch of branches like kids going camping. You know, hey, go get a bunch of branches. We're going to make campfire. So everybody goes out, they get their branches and they make their huts. And can't you see the, the family of five huddled up in this tent in this little hut that they've made and dad's telling them, you see guys, God delivered us from Egypt. He's faithful. He is so awesome. He provided everything we needed while we were wandering. He brought us into the promised land. God is a good God. And they were celebrating. And they came together and they slaughtered animals and they had a feast and they rejoiced and they partied to the glory of God. And they rejoiced in the goodness and the faithfulness of God and His salvation and His forming them as a people. And so as they heard the Word of God, they realized, man, that's, what, that's what's next. We're supposed to be doing that. Ezra says, so go. Let's get back into repentance. Let's repent. Let's get our life back into conformity with God's good will for us. And so we see, as they did, it says, the sons of Israel had not done it like this since Joshua. 
And then when they got everything and they participated in the festival, verse 17, there was great rejoicing. Verse 18, he read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day to the last day of that feast, and they celebrated. They celebrated the feast for seven days. On the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. The picture here is that when we bring our life back into conformity with the will of God, there is great rejoicing. There is no happier place. There is no better way. The enemy constantly is telling you happiness is anything other than submission to God's will for your life. But it begins with us saying the word of God reveals Christ died for your rebellion. And if you will submit to him, he will restore you by giving you his righteousness and you give him your guilt. He took your punishment on the cross if you'll receive it. At that moment, you're restored. You, Romans 8 one says, from that point on, there's no more condemnation. No more guilt. No more condemnation. If that doesn't fill you with joy, what will? And then from then on, each day you gradually bring another portion of your life back into conformity with the will of God as you read it, Bring it into the conformity of the will of God and He brings restoration and He brings joy. My prayer is that wherever you are today, that you will experience the joy of restoration. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, then you know better than most. If you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, you never stop needing restoration. Or if you've never walked with Jesus... You've been living under the resistance to authority because you don't like that word. I'm telling you, there's no happier place to be than under the authority of Jesus. He is the good king. I pray that today that many people will understand the most joyful place to be is restored through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then all of us will have the strength we need as we daily are restored and strengthened by the joy of the Lord. We'll have what we need to go out to our friends, to our neighbors, to our families, to our coworkers, to our community, to our neighborhood, to our city, to Africa, Nicaragua, New Orleans, Afghanistan, wherever God is sending you to take that gospel message The joy of the Lord is the strength that we need to persevere to the end. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that our church, our community groups, our core classes, our family times, our personal times, are focused squarely on knowing you and your will through a studying, constantly, diligently seeking to know you through your scriptures. And I know that you will give clarity to any willing heart who seeks salvation and godliness in you through what your scriptures say. And I know that you will bring the joyful 
strength of restoration as we come to trust Jesus and bring our life under his reign and rule. And Lord, that's the strength we need as we try each day to be faithful and bring the gospel and against much resistance and opposition. I pray that your joy will be our strength. And I pray today that people all over this room will be strengthened, not through some artificial entertainment that fades, not through some simple indulgement of the flesh that feels good for a season but fades, but through the one name, Jesus. It's his name we pray and sing. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.